Hello everyone and welcome to Ear Read This. I'm Ash, your host, and following on from yesterday's episode on Richard III, today I am once again joined by Ben Crystal. Ben is an actor and producer who has performed Shakespeare around the world. He is the author of several books on the Bard, including Shakespeare on Toast. Ben is also well known for his work with Original Pronunciation, the study and performance of Shakespeare's plays as they would have sounded to their first audiences. Just to set the scene a bit, for those of us and for those listening who might think that in inverted commas, proper Shakespeare sounds like John Gielgud. Um, what is original pronunciation? Yeah, sure. Well, it's essentially the reconstruction of the sound that Shakespeare and his actors would have spoken in 400 years ago. And as a reconstruction experiment, it's an acoustic equivalent of the architectural experiment that is Shakespeare's Globe or the Wanamaker Playhouse or the new Shakespeare North Playhouse in uh, near, near Liverpool. Um, these are spatial experiments where you take the idea of what the theatres would have looked like and you fill in the gaps and try and make as, as good a bet as you can and then you do Shakespeare in it and see what you learn. And the same has been done in costume and music and fight and, and yeah, accents too for the last um, 15 years or so. The accent's been explored. Uh, certainly the sort of accent I was used to hearing Shakespeare in was the accent, as you say, of John Gielgud or Laurence Olivier or Sir Ken Branagh, those great male Shakespeare titans of the 20th century, um, a lot of whom you know, McKellen and Patrick Stewart grew up with Northern English accents and, and went to drama schools and that encouraged them to push their regional accent behind them. So you'd hear something like, now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York and all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried you know that sort of very refined clip i didn't do a very good rp there but but that sort of careful musical sound because partly we were still shaking off the idea that that shakespeare was poetry and so it needed to be declaimed as poetry mm. rather than as as human characters that that are thinking and feeling and, and needing to speak the qualities that we hear, we, I'll do some now so you can hear it, but we understand that original pronunciation was generally faster. It resonates with many regional accents of English that might sound familiar to you and, and to your listeners. And certainly is a country mile away from that very careful, precise, tinkly, yeah, slow or a sound. Um, so look, here's the same speech. Um, in, in, in my version, because everyone's version is different, uh, of the reconstruction of, of the sound of Shakespeare 400 years ago. No, is the winter of or discontent made glorious summer by this sun a yark, and all the clothes that lord upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean bury it. 
No herb rose boned with victorious wreaths, or bruised arms hung up for monuments, or stern alarums changed to merry maidens. Grim visaged war hath smothed his wrinkled front, and no, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasance of a lute. But I that I'm not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking-glass, I that am rudely stamped, and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling nymph, I that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated a fater by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this brethren world, scarce half made up, and that so lamely and unfashionable, the dogs, Bark at me as I halt by him. I, in this wake pipe in time apiece, and no delight to pass away the time, lest it be to spy my shadow in the sun and descant on my own deformity. Oh, that was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've never heard I've never heard that speech in for oh, in in a in OP. Where did we begin to lose it? If, I mean, I'm sure that's a massive question, but it, well, it, it it yeah, it is and it isn't uh, a massive question. But you're right. It, I mean, well, it's far from RP, but then RP is spoken by two percent of the of of, of English speakers, two percent of the UK. It's never been a widely spoken sound. This is the great 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 grandmother of all spoken English in some respects, because spoken English, which has always taken in influences from other languages and accents, you know, bubbled away in Elizabethan London and then went on the boats from Bristol over to the Americas and later got sent on the boats down to the Antipodes. And so the accent of Elizabethan London essentially spread around the world. And so there are vestiges of modern English uh, modern Australian English, modern Indian English, modern American and Canadian English in this sound that you hear. Mm. Um, and there's no one place in the world that still speaks it as, as you've just heard it. The version you've just heard is about 80 to 90% right. And the last 10 to 15% is filled in by not my natural speaking sound. And what the only sure thing we know about language and accents is that they change and they change very fast. This sound changed over the course of Shakespeare writing. At the beginning of his writing time, a word like information would have been pronounced information. And about halfway through his writing time, it, about the 1600s, it would have been pronounced information. And then by the time he finished writing by, you know, Henry VIII, or maybe even by the time John Donne was, was uh, preaching at St. Paul's Cross, at the St. Paul's Cathedral, it would have turned to information. So over 20 years, you've got an accent change from information, information to information. Accents and, and languages change real fast. Accents are a, a sign of identity. And if you want to show that you're different from those people across the town or across the road, you'll change your accent. So I don't know. I suppose... It would have been relatively within the same ballpark of familiarity for at least until 
um, the Civil War, I imagine. Major sociological changes are going to have major effects. The Puritans coming in in the 20s and shutting theatre down, that would have changed things too. Any instance of plague where you're separating people, as we are learning now, is going to have a change on language too. So how, how on earth do you go about starting to recreate this pronunciation ah well that's when you need a handy uh, and tame linguist and fortunately my father <laughs> is uh, a, a, a great linguist and he was invited by the shakespeare's globe in 2004 to answer the question you asked me really which was you know we've we've, we've made the building we've done music we've done costume how and can we do the sound and will people understand it and um his process is pretty standard if you want to find out what any accent sounded like. Uh, you go to the sources you have available to you. In this case, we've got 36 to 39 plays, 100 and just under 160 poems, and a few other bits and pieces of, of text from Shakespeare. And then from the Elizabethan time, we've got so much more. You can tell what words would have sounded like from their rhymes, you know, Two thirds of Shakespeare's 154 sonnets don't rhyme anymore, and they would have done. So the accent has evidently changed with uh, a, a couplet like, um, If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved, in our modern sound, it would have had to have been loved and proved or loved and proved. Had to, had to have been, or something like that. Then uh, the way they used to spell. Uh, in the, uh, the first publications, like the, the quarto of the plays or the, the folio of the plays, they, they spelt a lot more like they used to speak. So you've got the spellings, you've got the rhymes. There were books written about what the accent sounded like. Uh, there's a good chunk of data to be able to get you pretty, pretty close. The the example you've just given us, as you said, it's, it sounds, you could hear it as aspects of different regional accents um, that we might recognise today. There's there's some bits that sound quite Yorkshire, some a bit sort of more South, more kind of Wiltshire, mm -hmm. um, maybe a, maybe London as well. It it sounds like broadly th those sorts of accents you associate with sort of traditional productions nowadays of uh, prose speaking characters, whereas the the verse speaking kings all sound like Gielgud. Um, <laughs> Going to say, what is contemporary audiences have a have an equivalent of sort of a posh accent and a a sort of commoner accent. Yeah, the, I mean, you're certainly picking up on the tendency of the latter half of the 20th century, which was the uh, Oberon and Titania and the lovers, they speak received pronunciation and the clown characters, the mechanicals, they're going to, you're going to hear them in a Northern English accent or a Brummy accent or an Irish accent or anything like that. Fortunately, that's not the case anymore. Um, there was a time when the Northern English company, Northern Broadsides were an oddity hearing Shakespeare outside of received pronunciation would have been well. some people would have walked out. Actually, they really mm. believe that, that, well, they let's put it a different way. They believe that Shakespeare should be spoken in this posh Gilgadesque sound, despite the fact that a, a received pronunciation has only been around for 120, 150 years. Um, and didn't come into existence until nearly 250 years after Shakespeare. Uh, in Shakespeare's time, there would have been no way to determine someone's socio or economic background from the sound of their voice. 
From their clothes, absolutely. From their job, 100%. From the tone of their skin, absolutely. Because if you were tanned, then you worked outside. And if you were fair, which was the, the considered the most pretty aesthetic at the time, um, then you were protected from the sun and you evidently didn't work outside. If you had an education, then you would have learned to read very likely. And if you were literate, then you would know that words that have silent H's have H's in them. And so you might pronounce them because you've read it. And in that respect, if you heard someone uh, like the chorus figure in Romeo and Juliet says, does he say, or do they say two households or two households? Well, it's a chorus, so you don't know what sort of character background they are, but there would have been a choice in Shakespeare's time to pronounce that H or not, depending on whether or not you were literate, which depends on whether or not you were moneyed enough to buy an education. So I think that's really interesting because immediately you've got an, a choice of accent, but you your choice will tell you what sort of background the character has. But beyond that sound, the idea of being able to, as it were, judge someone from the quality of their accent uh, or the qualities of their accent is a relatively new thing and, and certainly wouldn't have been something that would have made sense to the Elizabethans. I, I know you've been involved in producing several original pronunciation mm -hmm. productions. How kind of accepted, accepted has it been by sort of stalwart Shakespeare companies? Uh, and is there is there a friction between sort of how Shakespeare has been done for the last, you said like latter half of the 20th century and being more experimental with the, the pronunciation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think there's a number of theatres, not just in the UK, but around the world that have uh, a very loyal following of audience that have been coming to see them all their lives from... Mm the 60s 70s and 80s onwards and there's an expectation there and I've consulted and worked with a bunch of Shakespeare theatres around the world that are, are really struggling because on the one hand um, their audience their loyal following of audience is actually dying and on the other hand you've got a young audience that is growing up with YouTube and isn't so interested in theatre and so there's you know, from an artistic programming point of view, you are trying to create shows that will satisfy and keep your your main, you know, the, the, the audience that's keeping ticket sales going happy. And on the other hand, you, you need to try and attract the next generation of theatre goers. So you've got two very, very different needs for the most part there. And I think... There are a lot of people who think the idea of going to the Shakespeare's Globe, for example, sitting outside, sitting on hard wooden benches and and seeing people dressed up as it were 400 years ago. They think, oh, it's a museum piece. It doesn't it's not going to be comfortable. It's a, a novelty. And I think there's a lot some people that perhaps think that about not just original pronunciation, but hearing Shakespeare in in any other accent than the accent that they grew up in. Uh, what we've found is that in all of the shows that I've produced over the last 10 years or so, people have said with any sort of combination of original practice elements, so, um, you know, bare stage, simple costume, uh, beautiful space, shared light, 
actual interaction with the audience and the actors and this faster, earthier, more emotionally resonating sound that that sounds familiar to them too, that doesn't sound like the elite and the posh, but has traces of their own accents in it that they can hear resonate to. They say this is the most accessible Shakespeare we've heard. And I think that's, it's not just down to the sound. I think it's down to to tuning into those elements that made Shakespeare so accessible 400 years ago, which is to, um, this isn't us on a stage and you must watch in the silence. This is a shared experience. You are here with us. We see you. We see you seeing us, see you as it were. And, um, and whilst we're dressed in, in beautiful things, you can make contact with, with us. You, you are with us and you are hearing this in a sound that's familiar and you're seeing characters that maybe you don't have anything in relation to like Kings, but, but they are still talking about thoughts and feelings that are familiar, that, that you are always with these works, holding a mirror up or trying to in some way. And I think the more daring original practice inspired productions that I've seen, the ones that have used these and, and adapted them towards a modern audience so uh, to not having an all-male company but having multiple genders and, and that sort of thing and making the kind of productions that that are inspired by the elements in 400 years ago but but are creating a bridge to the modern world those are the ones that i think i've seen excite people the most because of course that's the point about original pronunciation too it's not a means and an end in and of itself really interesting to hear can bring out all sorts of wonderful qualities that we've never found before in plays. But the point, of course, the destination is to rebalance the field so that people don't think, oh, Shakespeare, that's the thing where I have to go and hear posh people talk. <laughs> or, nor should it be, oh, Shakespeare, that's the thing where I have to go and watch people in doublet and hose speak in a funny old sound. The point surely is that we go to see Shakespeare we see people that look similarly dressed to us, but with little bits that help the story. And they speak in their own voices. And we get to hear accents and sounds that are theirs rather than accents and sounds that they've had to train to, 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 to produce. Because the right sound for Shakespeare should be your sound because you want to speak it. And anyone that says your sound isn't right you're not doing the right sound for this work of art. I don't think really understands the work of art, to be honest. I was going to ask, um, it slightly goes against what you've just said, but <laughs> having, you must make so many discoveries doing original pronunciation and kind of workshopping these plays. You've just very generously and diplomatically said all interpretations are valid. So that slightly nixes this slightly... Uh, harsh uh, question but I was going to ask you if that, you having looked at original pronunciation are there any characters or scenes that you can't that have been ruined for you when you see them done in a, a more sort of standard manner I think um, original pronunciation and, and all the original practices they 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 shine light on the works you certainly discover new things about them um, they're brilliant for discoveries they're also pretty good for ownership but having explored these pieces in original practice, then I think it's about creating them in response to the community that you're in, for example, and and the people that coming 
that come to see them get to see themselves in in some respects so there's a there's always new and exciting things to be found when you do these original practice explorations and goodness finding new things about shakespeare is is awesome, especially after you know all these years of interrogating him um but there's nothing better for ownership and accessibility than than by allowing the production or the the actors to integrate with their the community that they're in and and in some respects yeah hold that mirror up higher i think that i've seen a lot of productions where the play or the production is sort of a square peg in a round hole whether it's been squeezed into a sort of space that it doesn't work in or um a concept that doesn't make entirely make sense but is it feels like a nice idea or it's cute or what have you or um there are bits of shakespeare that are designed for the aesthetic that it was written in whether that's the the candlelight of the Wanamaker sort of space or the open air round of the globe or the, the, the traverse quality of the middle temple where 12th night was first performed. There are written into the dramaturgical structure of the pieces or the interactions are also elements of the architecture. So when you see Viola and Sebastian for the first time on stage together, it works fine on a proscenium arch stage. It works even better in a traverse sort of environment that you get at the Middle Temple because with the rest of the actors, when you both you see them both on the same stage at the same time for the first time, you get to do a tennis court back and forth as you sort of <laughs> see them both. And there's some lovely elements of reveal that the characters go through that only really kind of works or at least works much more simply and easily when they are either end of a great space likewise there are qualities in Macbeth that work really really well by candlelight that don't mm. work so well in the open air space at the globe and there are elements in the open air space at the globe that are really really important like the interactions with Hamlet and the audience or Richard and the audience so any of these that in a more modern space where there is that fourth wall it, if, if you have the actors trying to talk to the audience and the lights are off on the audience, then you, you, you're, you're confusing your, your public, really, because they're not sure whether or not they're allowed to speak and reply. Um, so, yeah, there's been all sorts of times where where the, the this 400-year-old body of work has been squeezed into a modern setting. And, you know, the great thing is that there's no Beckett Society going around saying, hey, you can't do this. You're not allowed to change these plays. And Shakespeare's like Teflon. You know, you can, you can put him in any space you like. You can put him outside, <laughs> inside, in a teeny little box. You can have everyone naked. You can have everyone wrapped up in aluminium foil. You can set it on the moon. The plays will survive. They're, they'll, they're, they'll be, they're pretty robust. The problem is when you start looking at them through 21st, 20, 20th century ideologies and then decide that because we have different sensibilities now, we, we cannot produce some of these plays. Now, there are really big and difficult questions being asked in plays like Taming of the Shrew and Othello and Merchant of Venice. They're really triggering for a lot of people these days. And, and 
you know that should not be ignored or excused but these are 400 year old works we will encounter problems with them if we try to squeeze them through our 400 years later ideologies and yeah we're going to encounter some bumpinesses with them too if we try and squeeze them into 400 year old for into brand new technologies and boxes and stuff shakespeare struggles to work on film too mm. for for similar reasons um there's a there's a beautiful meeting point i think and and I think that there are modern theatres like Liverpool Everyman and the Royal Exchange and and these sort of spaces that are different and 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 create a bridge between the audience and and the play that resonates with the sort of dynamic that Shakespeare was writing for. I suppose I suppose that that's perhaps the, the word I'd use to describe the similarity between these these four hundred year old spaces is that they. The, they don't try and separate the audience from the performers. There's a, there's always a bridge of some kind, and perhaps the the spaces or the productions that lean into those qualities are the, are the ones that are most successful. I just I I just want to changing topic a bit. I just wanted to ask you how you were feeling about and maybe how how you got involved in the the show must go online. Now it's come to uh, well, it's completed its run of plays. Obviously, you, you've introduced a number of plays and also um starred in them well what a project what an incredible privilege and an honor it was to be a part of that just mind-blowing machine and uh huge applause to rob miles and sarah peachy and all the show must go online team for an uh, an eight-month endeavor of non-stop a show every week shakespeare with you know what a marathon and i mean i produced a few projects over that time as well as working on the show must go online and every time i finished a project i needed a good break you know i was pretty tired it was there was a lot to deal with in terms of the pandemic and and the world and the black lives matter movement there was so much going on in 2020 on a personal and public level uh from major to minor um that any output i found much more exhausting than than perhaps i might do in rabbit ears normal life i have no idea how they kept going and how they did it and i can only applaud them because (laughs) what a gift what a gift to the theater thirsty audience what a gift to the theater creative thirsty actors out there what a, a resource for schools to be able to go to in the future. And all of it done with such a great kindness and gentleness and compassionate, brilliant, nourishing, inspiring creativity from the center of that team. It was it was a joy from start to finish. Um, Rob reached out on Twitter, wondering if people might be into the idea. I immediately wrote back to him and said, yes, and also start now. Like do it this week because someone else will come up with it otherwise. And um, not that that would be a bad thing. And there were loads of other really great companies also doing Shakespeare, but to do them in, again, rabbit ears, because we don't really know the chronological order, the, the Wikipedia chrono- chronological order, and to to have that as the backbone of this very hard and difficult and bizarre year, to know that every Wednesday night was this opportunity to to relax and and hear and watch some some shakespeare whilst also exploring 
these new digital arts. Yeah, it, it was an honor. It was an honor, an honor to be a part of it. I, uh, I, I introduced a couple, like you say. I played uh, time and toward the end there, and I curated the introductions themselves. So I invited uh, academics and practitioners and regular people to, um, I mean, as in regular, not particularly Shakespeare specialized, to um, to introduce them. And then in the latter half, once my own projects were put to bed, I was something of a consultant, creative producer, helping them. I felt like reinforcements in the last third of the project, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a joy. It was a joy from start to finish. And uh, I'm excited to hear that they're they're planning to do more with the brand in 2021. That's all for today, folks. A huge thank you to Ben Crystal for coming on the podcast. You can find links to his website and Twitter in the episode description box below. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Mm-hmm.